Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the McShin Foundation's award-winning recovery podcast, Get in the Herd. Today, on our very special beginning to uh, June, which is Pride Month, uh, we have some incredible recovery advocates here to share some experience, strength, and hope, um, and talk about issues, um, specifically issues around housing, uh, well, housing, but other issues, too, for the LGBTQIA plus community, specifically the recovery community. So I'm very, very excited to have with us today um, Chantel Rose Hammonds, who is executive director of Peter's Place, which is an organization here in the Richmond area that works for um, the LGBTQIA plus community to deliver safe, affirming, and and comfortable housing. Um, we also have Saja Alexandra Ramos. Ra- Ramos, excuse me. I, 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 you know, I knew I was going to trip over the first part. Ah, um, she, Saja and I um, go back uh, over a year at this point, I think, with other spaces in the recovery advocacy uh, movement. And so recently we've intermixed um, with housing issues. Um, and, and I know you and Chantel have done a lot of work nationally on that. And while Chantel and I are working here in Virginia on some things and you've been contributing to that. So I want to welcome you both and say how just excited I am to have you here in this space. Um, and say, well, it's pride. So, what what are you happy for? You what are you proud of today? And I'll, we start with either one of you here. Who would like to lead off? Mm. <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> I guess I could go. Um, what am I happy and proud about? Well, I'm proud. I'm proud to be a black trans woman. You know, and to be open about that and live openly about myself and my truth and who I am, and to fully embrace that in my life and in my recovery. That's awesome. That's awesome. Saja, welcome. And what are you what are you proud of today? What what brings you here today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's great to be here in this space with Chantel. Um, she's become my friend throughout this work and with you too, Nathan. I'm already feeling like this is going to be a fun conversation. Sparkly <laughs> um, stuff behind me and I'm happy about that. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I have something sparkly over there too. I want to grab it, but I'll save it for later. Um, today, I just want to say um, I want to really kind of honor Chantel's work in the sense that she wrote this post earlier this morning of um, organizations doing performative work. Mm. And of course, like June 1st, like everyone's going to like write their posts, they're going to like do their thing, right? But like, where's the change, right? So I just want to say I'm like deeply, deeply proud of Chantel, like because to constantly be the person to like, you guys aren't doing this and you guys aren't doing this like publicly, like it takes a lot of like work and emotional labor. And like every morning, like I see her doing something and I'm just like, you know what, like everybody needs a little bit more of this. Yeah. Yeah, that that I didn't read your post, Chantel. Do you want? Could do you mind sharing that? Um, yeah. With, or I'm sorry to put you on. The, sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase it. It was pretty much saying that. Can I cuss? Yeah, yeah everything except for the F word. Okay. Well, well, 
<laughs> I know. Well, John and I struggle with that one a lot. I, I want you to make sure because that was like the first word that was going to come out with the F word. Okay. So I, I pretty much said that like, you know, I'm just this pride month. I'm, I don't want to see organizations or hear from organizations or people blessed, like how much they support this community or make a bunch of posts about pride month when you're constantly hurting us throughout the year, you're not supporting us throughout the year, but for this month to make your, like to, for your image, did you want to blast that you support the LGBTQIA plus community instead of writing performative posts? How about you take the time to celebrate this month by doing some internal work to make sure that we don't have to be harmed and hurt every time we sit in your space? Yeah, that's very well said. Um, you know, I, I don't know if the two of you know a little bit my of my story. You know, I'm I'm a proud gay man, um, and I'm in this recovery space. And <laughs> thanks. And you know, 20 years ago, when I was still th when I was three or four, um, <laughs> no, 20 years ago when I was when I you know I lived in D.C. and I worked in um, I found myself working for the what was then called the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, and I remember. You know, I had I had kind of fallen into a, a clerical job, and I found I found a niche, but I really my advocacy was was lacking, really. To be, you know, I I I don't think I had was born to it at that moment. I I I found acceptance, you know, through a bottle and through powders, and but I, what I remember and what is so distinct for me is there was a march on Washington. We just talked about this a week or two ago, and 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 I, I, I I'm I'm exploring this story because I don't talk about this part a lot, but there was there was a march in Washington I think in 2000, and I remember being down there. You know, an LGBT, well, I guess it was probably just a lesbian and gay march at the time because, you know, the, the rest of the alphabet wasn't really as included. But I remember being down there and had the AIDS quilt was out on the mall. And I remember walking around and, and that's, you know, I, I, that, that's pretty powerful to me. And walking around and I remember going across, uh, I think Independence Avenue or whatever it was, and, and Westboro Baptist Church. And I think you both probably know Westboro Baptist Church and their, their, um, I want to say advocacy, but that's not the right word. Their hate, just their hate, um, being there and 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 protesting the quilt. And I remember the yelling and, of course, the signs. And I remember specifically, you know, it had just been two years since Matthew Shepard had died. So images of him burning in hell and, you know, God hates the F word, the, 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 the worst F word. And I remember thinking, standing there alone you know, and them spitting and just frozen and feeling so alone and so powerless and so unable to, to connect to who I was and, and hating and learning, learning to really to internalize my own self-hatred um, and, and my lack of self-acceptance and then finding that more further into the bottle and, and the powders and things that I consumed. And, you know, it, it was decades before I came to recovery and, you know, I wonder what would have been different back then. You know, what would have been different for me back then had some acceptance been. And now I find myself occasionally, not even occasionally, I find myself all the time having to, feeling like I need to apologize. This is where I'm learning that I don't have to apologize. I still get to that point where I sometimes have to apologize for being at the table or apologize for, you know, asking or say, you know, well, if it's not too much trouble. And, and so I'm really drawn to the two of you because you are so powerful in what you do and in your advocacy. So tell me, 
as I've gone on and on and on about my story here, what is it that brings you to this advocacy space and what do we need to do to change things? Please. Hold on. So (laughs) you're not into women at all, Nathan. Me? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just checking. You know. Let's make this fun, right? Because something that I love about the LGBT community is like, honestly, like being able to talk about sexuality, gender, like identities and stuff. It's so fluid and it's so free. Like, it's so, so, so free. Like, currently, right now, I am, uh, you know, I am dating a man, right? But like, I understand my sexuality as fluid, right? Like, right. I, and I tell my partner, it, he, he gets very threatened. I'm like, tomorrow I might want to date a woman. And he doesn't really like that, but it's not about him. It's about like my individual choice of sexuality and, and who I want to be with. Right. Um, but I just, I had to ask you, I was like, oh, well, I love it. I love that. I love that you're proud. And, and that, and that means so much to me because I've been in this, these spaces with you and I don't ever get a chance to hear you talk about that, whether it's because of the way that the space that we're in, but to be able to connect that way, we, we miss that in, in recovery because we are so multifaceted and, and, and multidimensional. Yeah. So much of my experience as a gay man has been centered around, you know, the 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 party lifestyle. You know, I lived in DuPont Circle. I lived, you know, I lived up in I didn't live in in uh, Chelsea, but I did live in New York. So I was in Chelsea. And it, did we lose? Oh, no, we lost Saja. Um, well, hopefully we'll bring her back. Chantel. Um, oh, I think she's coming back. But so much of my experience. Oh, welcome back. Sorry, we lost you. So much of my experience was in that party scene and the, the you know, we talk about, and, and I'm so glad to hear what you posted, uh, Chantel, because, sorry, so much of my early experience with Pride was sponsored by Absolute or sponsored by Budweiser or we have to be partying until 5 a.m. and then we got to go to the tea dance and we got to go to this and we got to do that and you got to have your change of clothes for this and that and the whole experience, you know, it was a, it was a, it, it wasn't the best environment for, you know, an early 20s man to come to self-acceptance. So um, I'm really grateful to hear you in this space. And I don't like labels. You know, I identify as a gay man because it's the most simple way for me to explain myself to you. And I know, you know, in recovery, I know that I don't have to do that. But I also know that I have to be out um to attract others and empower others to also be out or at least, you know, to, to find themselves. Um, and, and I find that I get a lot of people coming and talking to me about things that they may not talk about to other people. So Chantel, what's been, what's been your experience with pride over the last, you know, several years. And, and I know I see the face, um, I know you're going to have some thoughts on this and that's why I want to hear these thoughts. Yeah. So honestly, you know, when pride month come around, I might say some things for some things like I'm happy and proud as who I am. Right but I don't really participate in Pride. I went to Pride, like the actual festival and stuff like once, like maybe two years ago. And that's just because a friend of mine needed a ride home. And uh, and so I showed up for them because I have a lot of mixed feelings about that, right? Yeah. I think that um, I'm trying to make sure I don't cuss. Um, so that's what I'm talking because if you know me, there's going to be some cuss to come out. So I'm trying to make sure, right? But um, trying to be respectful, right, of the space. I don't know. Um, Appreciate but, it. 
I don't really enjoy it. Why? Because I think it's been whitewashed, to be honest, to be true. Truthful about it, it's been whitewashed. It's turned into this big festival, this celebration, like you said, around drinking, around all these things and like these parties and like the tokenized white cisgender gay men as like the image of what pride is. But that's not what it is. It started as a riot. Yeah. It started as a riot that black and brown, specifically black and brown trans women of color advocating for their rights against police brutality. It started as a riot and it got stolen from them to make it into this big celebration. And it's okay to celebrate, but I think we forget the social justice part of it. I think we forget about advocating and including and protecting the people who, who stood up for this movement, right? Because it became the gay rights movement, excluding trans folks. All yeah. trans folks are not gay, some are, but when they talk about the gay rights movement, they're not talking about trans folks. They're talking about the cisgender gay white men. And I don't really participate in it because I'm not with all the fake corporations who never support us, who don't put any money in our communities, who don't do anything for us, showing up and capitalizing off of us, our hurt and our pain, but also our lives and the struggles that we go through. Doing a couple rainbow stickers on stuff don't mean a, a damn thing, right? Um, passing out drinks everywhere, like, I don't care about that, right? In this space, let's talk about how we're going to protect people, how we're going to fight for rights for people, how we're going to make sure everyone is protected, right? And we can have the celebrations and stuff, but we don't include the social justice part. And I don't like that because I, I feel like when the fight happened, the black and brown people were a front fighting for this revolution, starting this revolution. But then when the privileges came, the other folks stepped in and took over and took it away. This is my opinion with pride. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember, you know, in that same space 20 years ago being in DC and working with the task force and the, the, the struggle, um, to work with other LG, other gay rights organizations, let's just call them what they said they were back then. And because of, you know, the, the task force at the time was, and, and I think has gotten more progressive and I think was more progressive than other organizations to be inclusive. Um, and other groups were not. And so trying to rectify, you know, the work that other groups were doing at the same time working, you know, to do whatever we could do. Cause you know, you're, you, we, we what do we get? You know, we got, uh, uh, I guess I can bring politics into it. We might as well. We brought, you know, we got George Bush and and the 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 Christian Coalition in 2000. So, or well, Christian Coalition being part of the 2000. So we we had some fights, we had some battles, and so I like what we're doing now, and I like that we're doing this work now in the recovery space because what you just said about handing out drinks and handing out this, you know, that was my experience. And I think that's a lot of our experience, and if you look at the numbers, the and I, I think the numbers just measure LGBT or even just LG, um, but look at 20 to 30% of the population of the lesbian and gay, I think it's just the lesbian and gay population that were measured. Um, and looking at 20 to 30% of those individuals as having a substance use disorder versus 9% in the, in the general population. And that doesn't even dive deep into people of color um, or transgender, you know, diving deeper, deeper and deeper where you look at, you know, astronomical numbers of people with substance use disorder who are being 
thrown out or being more harmed when they try to get recovery support services. And so that's where this space, you know, what the work that you two are doing, and I and myself included on this, but really what y'all are doing, especially, you know, trying to fix those holes or mend the gaps or whatever the wording I'm looking for here, but to, to ensure that we have safe, welcoming spaces for people. And it's hard conversations we need to have. And I, I really applaud you what you're saying about making this month a month about having those difficult conversations. You know, I'll be very honest, me sitting here right now having this conversation is not the most comfortable thing in the world. Right. And, and anytime I talk about my recovery, regardless of whether I put the gay spin or whatever on it, it's like I, I'm still putting myself out and I know there's an opportunity for hate to come at me. And I've seen it. You know, I've posted, you know, we've put petitions together for LGBTQ housing, Q, QIA housing, and I've seen putting it on recovery uh, pages where people have said, uh, what do they need or this or that and the other. In fact, I just said something in the hall and I heard somebody say a sideways thing about that. And I'm like, everywhere, everywhere. You know, so what do you what do you say to what I'm saying right here, Sasha? What do you think about what I'm saying? I'm like, someone's trying to come for you. Like, let them come for me. And like, let's let's like see about that. Like, you know, and, and it's and like I'm from Jersey. Right. Like, so I have that like part of me like where I like I can get a little scrappy, but like I don't fight today. Right. Um, and no one's fighting. No one's fighting. Um, but it, I just, like it's so like this world and this time on this earth is so short right and it's like if you're not spending your time creating and elevating like and you're like here to like put people down and like say negative things like that's not even in my like purview like these days yes it happens but i just like being able to step up as a leader like you're always going to get that 30 30 of people are going to hate you 30 percent of people are going to love you and 30 percent of people don't care right so it's like it it infuriates me when i hear that people want to be more themselves in whatever space but they can't because of what other people think it because it hurts me like because i know what it's like you know and and i'm, I'm between Chantel and i am sure we get a ton of backlash and like you know speaking like about these like hard conversations like we had over like 95 registrants and we did have a small hiccup of time but and we had people at the national level in the recovery housing space join us but when it came to like showing up and actually having the conversation they they didn't show up right so it's like my recovery has taught me to hold people accountable and also like for me to be transparent like and it's humbled the f out of me that i have had to like say i'm sorry or say like oh that wasn't right but like that's the kind of recovery leadership like we need in these spaces and i'm not the expert in recovery i'm not the expert in lgbtq i'm i'm just here to like show people like okay there's a whole other side that we're missing and like let's start opening our eyes to that yeah yeah i appreciate that one of the most powerful conversations I've had in the last um, year was a conversation I had with you, Chantel, on New Year's Day um, this past, this, this most recent New Year's. I think it was New Year's Day or New Year's Eve. And you called me and, and in my head I was thinking, oh great, what am I going to get bitched at for? <laughs> and because, um, you know, we'd had many conversations and I think, you know, I, my, my willingness, my open-mindedness, um, you know, was lacking. Um, and I really appreciated the call because I think it's really opened up our relationship. Like I, 
I am in awe of your fierce work that you do. I really am. The, the, your, your powerful voice and what you say, and it's 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 um, fearless, fearless and fierce. I, you know, there's a, probably some really good words to describe you. I think you probably hear them a lot, and I hope you do, and I hope you believe them too, because I that conversation really, um, you know, I was probably crying when I was talking when you were talking to me, or I probably did. I know I did afterwards, and you know, I, I hope that's opened up because you know I. I'm still struggling with my own acceptance. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a cis man who lives in this white body. Um, you know, and I'm 40, probably 45 in two weeks. I'm a little pudgy, you know. Um, you know, excitement for me is going home and watching an Agatha Christie mystery at night, you know. So my life is, is I'm settling into, you know, middle age at this point and still recognizing that I have a lot of internal acceptance that I'm still working on on a daily basis. And so... Um, really grateful to have made a better acquaintance with you and I hope become friends more and more with you on that. So let's talk about the recovery housing work. You, you mentioned, we've mentioned this a couple of times, um, the, the, the policy initiative or policy work that you guys, sorry, folks put together last week. Um, talk about that and why that's important because, you know, can't just anybody live in any house and just come in and, you know, whatever people need recovery, right? Right, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's important to me to have this training. Um, I want to say this first because as a person who has lived in recovery housing, but uh, also as a person who has managed a recovery house, right, I know the hurt and the pain that is caused in these spaces when people are not educated, but also when there's no support or no one to protect me when this hurt and pain happens. But also I, I have been that person who had allowed it to happen and not know how to handle it and doing things. What really got me interested about doing this work, well, there was a lot of things, but I remember probably like three years ago, I said I wanted to open up a house for LGBTQIA plus people and the reasons has changed since then. But then I was like, I want to open this house because I had a person that was living in a recovery house that I was managing that was non-binary. And um, some of the, and I didn't know how to support them, to be honest. I didn't know how to support them. Some of the things that were said, and I didn't correct people from using, not using the, the correct pronouns and things like that. And I was like, and they were using pronouns that didn't, match the pronouns that this person used. But like in my mind, I justified it as like, well, at least they're not using the pronouns uh, uh, connected to their sex assigned at birth. So it's not that harmful, but it is harmful, right? And I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to navigate it um, because I felt like also as a person who was trying to understand my own identity and my own queerness and my own transness, that like, I didn't know how to handle it because I didn't know how to be open about me and who I truly was and my pronouns. And I was scared to out myself. So I allowed this harm to happen. And um, this training came in very important to me. It was very important for me because not only are we educating other people so this stuff may not happen anymore, but we're also educating ourselves to make sure that we're not causing harm for other people who come in contact with us. Yeah. How, how how did you get to this space of training as well, Sajra? How did you get to working with Chantel on this? So I, I don't know if you remember this, Chantel, but when you were 
when you were looking to open up recovery houses uh, for a recovery house for the LGBT community, it was when I think I was at Safe Project and um, mm -hmm. it was actually when when Jesse Harvey was still alive as well. And I know you connected with him. Um, so I so a handful of years ago, I owned and operated in, in the state of Louisiana, uh, a, a recovery house. I've also lived in a recovery house, um, worked at a recovery house done all the jobs at a recovery house um, and also broken a lot of rules at, at recovery houses as well. So um, <laughs> there's that. We don't um, do that here at McShen. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a part of it, right? Breaking the rules in the recovery house and how, how it's handled, that conflict um, is, is important. And that's actually a part of the training, just mm -hmm. FYI. But um, I got into this work because I think the idea of um, your family in the house that you connect with in your recovery house is so important. Like this, this, it was the building blocks of my own recovery. I went through a collegiate recovery program. Um, and I was around a lot of people who were very sex positive and very sexually free and coming from a Catholic household, um, and like just kind of being oppressed, um, for myself and my identity, like it was very liberating to see other people kind of express themselves in so many different ways. So I've always kind of been the person to champion, um, like anything that needs championing, honestly, like stuff that people don't want to talk about, um, things that are taboo, like, why aren't we talking about this stuff? And like, I've always felt the need to, to do that. So it was earlier this year, and I had it in my heart for a while. I was like, you know, no one's going to do this. And there wasn't anybody else I wanted to do it with except Chantel. And I was like, Chantel, like, what do you think about doing some training modules for recovery houses? And of course, she said yes. And uh, we've been at it ever since. And I've learned so much because we're not coming at this with uh, with expertise, but we're coming at this with our lived experiences. So it's, it's very close to our hearts. And it's, and for me, it's, it, it's tender, right? Because my, uh, my not, not that my gender changes, but like my, the, the way that I feel about myself and like my acceptance and like my sexuality, all of that, it, it changes for me on the daily as well. So like, kind of like what you were kind of talking about, Nathan, it's like, it's a, it's definitely a journey of like some days, like I'm really all about it. And some days I'm, I want to hide. Yeah. Yeah. So, some days I really want to lean into those Agatha, I keep saying Agatha Christie mysteries, but that's what I do these days. Um, and just, you know, curl up in bed and, and, and just, just let the world spin. Um, <laughs> that's, that is beautiful though. I love, I love how the two of you have come together with common purpose and brought others to the table. And, and, you know, snafu aside, you had what, 40 people at the table the other day, 45 or something like that. That's incredibly powerful. And then even as we're talking, like I, I, I'm looking at the people who have liked the Facebook post with the, 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 with the, you know, the show this week. And I'm like, the people that are liking that are the people who need to see this. And I'm hoping some good people are watching. Um, Chantel, you you mentioned you mentioned Peter's place, and I know you're the executive director, and this is a home here in um, in Washington. In uh, uh, where are we? Richmond. Um, I lived in Washington for so long. Um, tell me, please. Um, you mentioned there's been a shift in your purpose for that. Would you do you mind sharing 
part of that or all of that or or whatever obviously you're comfortable sharing and how you got involved with that and and who who's helped you put this together yeah so the shift in my purpose came um after i moved out of recovery housing um <clears throat> i started meeting trans identified individuals who um didn't have access to recovery housing or didn't feel comfortable in the recovery houses that they were going to see. Um, um, sure, trans. Sorry, my Siri just started going off. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> right. I have Alexa in my office and she does right. whatever the heck she wants. Right. And um, so, and then like over to probably the last, started in 2019, um, some people that I know that are operators in Richmond were sending trans women to me, like giving them my number, telling them to call me to find housing instead of giving them housing or allowing them into housing. Right. Um, and then the last thing that really told like when I felt like, okay, this is enough was in January of 2020 last year is when um, I got a call from this trans woman who was like this owner of this house, I won't name, um, <clears throat> that I was trying to get into. Um, they didn't accept me into it, but they gave me your number and told me to call you because you're a trans person. You probably know what to do. And I was just like, and it infuriated me because I was not doing housing or anything like that. It's just like, they just threw her to the side. They didn't even connect her to anyone who could offer her housing or whatever. I didn't know what to do. I was, I didn't have housing. Um, at this time I was working for the revive program here, just doing opioid educate, opioid overdose reversal education um and i was just like and i talked to her and i talked to her and she was just like crying she's like i don't know what to do i'm scared um i'm scared if i don't get a place to live i feel like that's going to help me with my recovery that i feel like i'm going to die right and and i called a few other people and we spend like hours and hours on the phone for the for two days trying to find this person a house that would accept them hmm. And then we finally found them a house that would accept them. And this person was there for less than a week. And she called me and she was like, I'm getting kicked out. And I said, why? And she was like, because they accused me of using. And, I, and she was like, I offered to take a drug test for them and they refused. And they just said I had to leave. And she was like, I promise I have not been using. So I called this individual and I was like, well, what if I pay buy a drug test? and test this person myself, would you allow them to stay? And they said, no, they had to go. So in my mind, I knew that it was not because they were suspecting them of using, right? It was because they didn't feel comfortable with them in the house and the other people didn't feel comfortable with them in the house. And at that moment of time, I said, this has to stop because we're allowing people to die because of our bigotry. That yeah. we are putting people out on the streets because we don't want to house everyone. And when you're in this profession and you're talking about helping people, then you're required to help everyone who shows up at your door. And if you can't help them, you're supposed to navigate them to someone who can help them, not turn your back on them. Because if you can't help everyone or figure out how to help them or where to send them so they can get the help, then you don't belong in this field. You don't belong in a helping field. And I'm just being honest. If you cannot get past your own bullshit to help someone else who is hurting, who needs pain, who's in pain, who needs help because of your own biases, then you do not deserve to work in this field because you're literally putting people out on the street to die. And I just could not watch that anymore. So I contacted some other people and I was just like, 
we need to do something about this. Because if we don't, if we don't provide housing, if we don't provide care for them, then we are just as much of a problem as they are. Because we're watching our people get thrown out on the streets with yeah. no help. Well, and, and, and your example and what you've done here has influenced, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb, of course, um, many organizations around here, but I'll speak specifically for McShen. It certainly influenced how we do things here. And the conversations we've had over the past year um, have been, have been uh, I, I think, productive and helpful. You know, I think, I think just, just like what you said, you know, essentially what I'm hearing from what you said is meeting people where they are. I mean, that's what we keep talking about everywhere we go with all the training that we do for recovery advocacy. You know, as people in recovery, you know, you help people, you meet them where they are, and we help find the resources and navigate them to the resources. So, Saja, your organization, executive director of the recovery um, organization resources, did I say that right? Recovery organization resources. Um, you do a lot. Uh, looking at this earlier, you, you do a lot. Um, and I see the the spiritual healing side of what you do, um, and in fact, I I'm a little I'm a little bummed I haven't really uh, talked to you more over the last year because um, I I really admire what you're doing um, you know for, for the recovery community. How do you balance all of those resources and put together? you know, all these resources together, but also make sure that the resources you're sending people to are not harmful. How do we do that? Um, how do we do that? Yeah. So a lot of it is, it's a, it's all of, it's a work in progress all the time. And, um, a part of me, uh, Roar, uh, recovery organization resources, like being responsible to their resources is also like informing the person that's seeking, like do the best you can to like, uh, find out what you need, right? So there, there, there's these two aspects of it. It's like, how do I, as someone that's seeking for a resource, how do I become the best informed kind of person for my own kind of needs, right? And that's why I tell people who are navigating recovery housing as well. It's like, what questions do you need to ask so that when you go to that recovery house, you know you're going to get what you need and Sometimes we don't get what we need even when we ask the right questions, right? But um, the internet world is wide and vast, and um, even our resources are, they're constantly being changed. We have this Slack channel that we use where I'm constantly just adding stuff in there, um, and our team kind of like gives it a, a once over. But again, there's just so much information out there that we can't essentially um, know what what's truly out there. So I really encourage everyone to like do the best that they can to do their digging, um, especially like going into a recovery house. Because um, I was just talking about this um, on in the rooms yesterday. It's like I would want to know if my recovery house operator like was not in recovery. Um, yeah. I yeah, think I would, yeah. Yeah, like that's basic and huge, but I'm seeing a lot of recovery houses like pop up of like not uh, like folks not in recovery or like they say they're LGBTQ house. And so how are they identifying in the community? Are they an ally providing inclusive community? Are they like are they in the LGBTQ community? Like are they in recovery? So it's it's really challenging to navigate all the information out there. So um, doing the best to just kind of read through, ask, ask good questions and, and don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that. I appreciate the work that you do. 
tell us more about if you if you don't mind i i know that you do um a, a lot of uh, uh yoga and other meditation and i think you even have a class uh that you do online i think uh what two two twice a week or something every um, other monday every other monday oh okay twice a month i'm sorry um what is what does that do and what does that do for your recovery and and actually I, by the way I, I don't know if we've said this at the top of the show but all three of us are people in recovery you know i'm a person in recovery from a substance use disorder and so so how i'll ask you that but then i want to 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 ask this question to both of you how do we balance the work that we do with our own recovery? How do we keep it separate, but also together? And it's a question I ask everybody in this field. How do you do that? What do you do? So please tell me about what you do with that meditation um, and yoga. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's a huge part of my life and my recovery and just really started to step out into it in this last year. So um, I am not currently a part of any 12-step program. I have ebbed and flowed out of the last six years of my recovery from working with a sponsor, um, going into different meetings and stuff, but it hasn't really resonated for me in a while. And in the third year of my recovery, I found um, Kundalini Yoga. Uh, which is different than any other kind of yoga. It's the yoga of consciousness. Um, it includes breath work. It includes mantra. And it's a deeply spiritual practice that helped me get in touch with me because that's what I was missing. Like I knew like people experienced me as being amazing or this or that, but like I didn't have an experience of me. Um, and it's truly changed my recovery. Uh, Tommy Rosen of uh, Recovery 2.0, he teaches the same yoga. Um, he also actually like wanted to come recruit me to uh, Recovery 2.0, but I said, uh, no, thank you, Tommy Rosen, um, because I wanted to do my own thing, right? And um, that's why I teach it to people. It's for people who are looking for just an, a, a new kind of inclusive kind of community. I'm a person that also has gone on different pathways to recovery. So because I've practiced it, I feel like I can hold that energy. So if someone comes to me and is like, oh, Saja, I'm doing XYZ or I'm harm reduction or I'm on MAT or I'm da 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 da, I'm like, great, you're welcome here because I've done that too, you know? Um, and that makes it a place where people feel welcome and we don't want them to feel isolated. So I teach every other Monday for a class called Rama Recovery. It's a global wellness platform of over 5 million viewers um, and over 100,000 wow. subscribers. Yeah, I was just in New York City yesterday and I was in front of, um, I would say it's like 50 people in New York City and um, streaming live. And I talk about the energy of recovery, right? And it's kind of, you know, a part, this part of myself, I've had trouble accepting as well, because when people hear you start talking about energy and like all this kind of other stuff, it's like immediately people are like, oh, you're crazy. Or like, oh, you're this, like, oh, something's wrong with you. Like <laughs> I definitely struggled with my mental illness, but I can't tell you that, um, how much like I believe in like the vibes. Right. And it's so funny because me and Chantel will be like, vibe check how did you feel about that you know and it's like we're kind of on this level of like you know when you're when you get into recovery you have this sensitivity that's like oh wow like you don't you know you can have your own experience but people put off bad energy sometimes and you can feel it from the science says actually nine feet away uh that's how big your aura is so um 
it's why I practice this. Um, I also do uh, sessions with women um, in recovery who are working on their addictions. I bring in the astrology. I've been reading astrology for over 15 plus years. Um, and honestly, it's the way that I speak to people. And these kind of lenses of the way that I see the world in recovery, I haven't showed people before because I've always been afraid of being criticized. But I can't tell you how much this has helped me. And and honestly, my last sponsor, she was in NA. Um, she also practiced the same yoga and she loved astrology. And like she kind of like paved the way for me as a woman who had been in recovery for like over 25 years and just kind of showing me like I can have all of this in my recovery. So um, it's a lot of fun stuff and I really enjoy it. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Chantel, what do you do for your recovery, um, and how do you keep? <laughs> we, we've had uh, Chantel and I've had some off the off off camera conversations about this. How how do you maintain your recovery and do the advocacy work that you do? So the first thing is that I know that this, my work is not my recovery, mm. and that's the first thing I have to acknowledge. And um, when I first started doing peer support. I can't remember who exactly told me this, but um, someone told me, it was like, this is not your recovery. This cannot be your recovery. A lot of people slip up because they start thinking that like, I'm working in this field, I'm doing this, I'm hosting meetings, I'm doing meetings, I'm facilitating groups and stuff, and this is enough for me, but that's not my recovery, but that's my work, that my recovery is separate from that. And I've always kept that with me that like, this is this is work for me. This is work when I'm over here. Yes, I can help people. And yes, it kind of helps my recovery in some aspect, but I need to know, I need to remember that I have to do the work outside of this, mm -hmm. right? That I need to, whatever that means to me, that I have to do something for myself, that my recovery is not my work and that I'm not truly working on myself if I'm considering my self-work to be um, just like, um, focusing on other people all the time. So what I do for myself is like, you know, I, I go to some meetings. Um, a lot, I, I'm very fluent in what I do and what type of meetings. Um, I used to be hardcore 12 step um, and only 12 steps is the only way and <laughs> all these things. And then and like that's changed over time. Like I was that person that like, if you didn't do 12 steps, like, you're not doing recovery right. And then like out of nowhere, it's just I just started realizing that that's not true, but that's not also not true for me. So I started, um, so for me, a big part of my uh, recovery is therapy and things like that. Um, stuff outside of like these, like, because I can't process my trauma, my hurt and my pain in 12 step meetings, like that that's nobody's business, but also like people in that room are not there for that, even if they are professionals. They're not there to to help me process my trauma for real, and most of them don't have the like the training to actually do that. So, with me, was finding things that really helped me to help me grow as a person. I still do meetings sometimes, um, not as much as I do. Um, I have a sponsor, but what helped me was finding a sponsor who wasn't these traditional sponsors, right? Who like. You know, we worked our, our we worked through our program of recovery different. They're they're they are a queer trans black person, which is like was a relief. Um, 
and they needed that um, so they understand all my my things and the things that I talk about and my um, disconnect from 12-step recovery that came after I came out as a uh, being a trans-identified person and all that stuff. But also how I disconnect myself from my work is that I, um, I don't go to meetings with my residents. Mm -hmm. um, I keep that space because that space is for me. Every now and then I tell them like, yes, I might, when I feel comfortable going to an in-person meeting, I might take you to an in-person meeting. But I know if I do that, then I'm working at that moment of time, that this is not for me because I need that separation between me and them. Um, I don't truly talk about what I do for my recovery with them because it's not about me when I'm working with them. It's about them at that moment of time. If something is helpful, if it's truly helpful to help them in their process that I will share it, but I don't go too much into my stuff or like what drugs I use and all that, like that's not important in this moment of time. Um, mm -hmm. So I keep my recovery separate from my per from my professional life. And I definitely keep my personal life completely separate. I don't even mention my personal life. <laughs> I've I've had to um I've had to uh, change homes group home groups a few times because I have brought um McShin participants and and I'm I'm you know I I transitioned I began as a participant here and then was a house leader and then a house leader slash staff and and now I'm staff and and I you know I don't live in our housing anymore and. I have, you know, it's that's been almost that's been six months at this point. Actually, it's been seven months at this point that I haven't lived in housing. So that, you know, the the the, the turnover of people. I mean, I still have friends here who are participants I've known since the beginning. Um, Justin, our producer, being one person here, but um, for the most part, I have I have crossed over that divide. I don't I don't bring participants with me to my home group anymore. Um, there is a meeting here at Hatcher, uh, a, a recovery Dharma meeting that I helped start here that I haven't, you know, I've made sure to let participants know and they come and whatnot, but I, I keep it, you know, it's not my meeting. It's not, it's just a meeting I go to and, and, and I go and we meditate and I talk about it, but then I, I don't stick around too much. And, and that's been very important to me because I'm also one of these people who, you know, on a Saturday morning, I might just get in my car with a tray of French toast and bring it to one of the houses. Cause I like that, you know, and, and that's still, I think that's still important for me. Um, something that both of you have kind of alluded to, you know, that 12 steps, you know, I'm a, I am a 12 step or two. Um, and I know that's important. Oh my gosh, the time on this. So good. Well, we, we could go on for two or three hours, I think. Um, but I'm a 12 stepper too. I think the past year has, you know, with the pandemic has really allowed me and I think so many other people to explore other pathways of recovery. And not that there's anything wrong with the 12 step pathway. We just know that it doesn't work for everybody. And also there are pathways that are but like, for instance, Recovery Dharma, for me, I think dovetails very nicely with my 12-step program. So I've, I've, I've kind of enjoyed that ability to explore and, and see other things. And of course, being in the position of having this, you know, this podcast and so many people, you know, share with me their experiences and with, with other um, recovery pathways has been really helpful as well. What do you both see? Um, what do you both see as the next what what is it what what is it we need to be working on right now what is it that we need i know you we're both you're both working on recovery housing and inclusive safe affirming housing what can we do more here 
in this space and in other spaces that can that can continue to not only you know bring people to the table but help build the table you know build that you know i, I don't want to just sit at the you know the kids table i, I want to be building the table bigger you know how do we what do we need to be doing right now either one of you <laughs> I, think everyone, I think everyone needs to be resting a little bit more honestly like i think mm -hmm. that we forget like we're in um unprecedented times right and um i know i look like i'm everywhere on social media but i sleep a lot like i can't tell you how much i sleep and like when i want to get a nap in i get a nap in you know and so like this it's this thing of like if we can't take care of ourselves like we can we can't take care of our community at all right and even if you're not recognizing your stress um and fear from this pandemic like you're you still have it it's still in you right um my yogic tradition teaches us that you carry the traumas um and the curses and the things of seven generations behind you um so like you're holding your parents your grandparents your great-grandparents and everyone else's stuff as well and i believe the people in recovery are the, are the folks that are here to break it but we have to give ourselves enough time to rest um to to look at that and something that i see in the recovery community a lot is like i want to do the work i need to keep doing the work i'm i need to do the work like that mentality that like hustle mentality of like i need to do the work like constantly is honestly i think harmful like that something is always wrong with you all of the time that you constantly need to be doing work and i hear it from a lot of the people that i see one-on-one -on -one. it's like i need to do the work i need to do the work like hmm. when do you ever chill then yeah no i feel that um what do you what do you say to that uh chantelle um so for me i feel like first we need to start having real life conversations Right. We need to have real conversations about the hurt and the pain and the stuff that's happening, um, stuff that has happened to people, um, people's true experiences without um, pushback on them. I think we need to allow space for people to say, hey, this is not working for me or this didn't work for me. Right. But also a space to offer solutions to say this didn't work, How? but this worked why can't we do this? Why can't we try this? Right. I think a lot of times when we talk about equity, justice, inclusion, and diversity, um, we want to just want someone to come in and do this blanket presentation of like, what well, this is what diversity is. This is what equity is. Use your pronouns. This is it. We're good. Okay. And then we go on with life. Right. But we never sit and pause and think about what are we doing wrong? How can we do better? How are we hurting people? What people have we hurt? How can we make it better, right? How can we truly build spaces for them? How are we um, making our space more inclusive for them? What about our policies and procedures, what we have in place? How are they inclusive of people? I think in order to build an inclusive community that we need to break down every structure that we know and rebuild it. And I know people hate hearing that and they don't wanna do that. But honestly, I can't build a structure on oppression and then try to just make a couple changes within that structure and keep that structure and expect it to be like inclusive to everyone because it's just not going to happen because that structure is still there. All those things that made this place unsafe for people is still there. 
So we need to rebuild programs from the bottom up. And I know that like people hate that because like we've been doing this for so long and people have been benefiting from these structures for, for so long, but we also have to look at who's benefiting and who's not, right? Um, I don't care how many tables you build. If I don't feel safe or included at that table, if I don't feel like my voice is respected, if I don't feel like that you're making changes to include me, I don't feel like if you're doing things to make my life better, I don't want to come to your damn table. Mm. Mm. Okay. You keep that table, right? So it's about actually making things accessible and inclusive for people. And I think that starts with the real conversations and really looking at what we do and what we, who we serve, how we're serving people, and looking at the structures that we have built and dismantling them and rebuilding them. And that's the only way to truly be inclusive. I love that. We're we're coming up to the to the hour here, and I before before we go, I you know I want to I don't know if you're both aware of this. Um, we we take these podcasts and and actually in the video form i guess they're vodcasts and we give them to um paytel and paytel is a provider for uh institution jails and prisons throughout the um throughout the country and they take these vodcasts and give them to um individuals in there in those facilities to watch i i believe for free um yeah, so for free, and they can watch at any time. And and something that that I I don't really know how who started it here. I, I think it's the best thing that you know. I, I came to recovery through a jail program, a McShin jail program. So I you know I'm I'm obviously going to have a bias, but I do I'm amazed that we do this. And so I think it's really important. And I'm so grateful to have you both here to share this part because I think that there are so many people who get into what am I trying to say? I know what I'm trying to say, but I'm also trying to be. Um, I, I think there are so many people still struggling. I think acceptance, you know, acceptance is the is the spiritual principle behind the first step in, in one of the 12-step fellowships. Some people will say honesty, but I think acceptance is the older one. Regardless, acceptance being a principle, a spiritual principle. And, you know, I know for me, you know, I, I came out of the closet when I was 20 years old. It wasn't until I was like 41, 42, and even still I struggle with it, that I recognized just how difficult, um, how much self-acceptance I hadn't gotten into, you know, how much that was uh, stopping me from going forward with my life and how much it still prevents me from going forward with my life and how it prevents me from, from, from advocating for myself. I'm a recovery advocate. Like my profession is recovery advocacy and I can, I can, I can fight for Justin. I can fight for Saja. I can fight for Chantel and, and for Nathan, you know, my laptop was dead for a month before I said something a few years ago. So anyway, I think that Adding our voices here, you know, by being out and proud, by being able to share our experiences and, and to bringing that, you know what, we don't have it figured out, but we're working on figuring it out and we're getting into those spaces. I think that's really an important message that we're sharing with those individuals who are um, incarcerated right now. And I appreciate that because I, I know that over the next couple of weeks, you know, we have a lot of guests who either by coincidence or by by me actually asking them, are going to be sharing a viewpoint from the LGBTQIA plus community. So um, thank you for that. <laughs> um, any last words, thoughts? Um, uh, 
yells, uh, <laughs> shout outs that you want to, to, to put, have I forgotten to ask about anything, um, that you want to include Sasha? Yes, I will. I just want to say, you know, to the people that listen in the, in the future and even to all of us here now, um, I've recently kind of just been diving into my own kind of stuff around acceptance as well. And like, you know, no matter if like your parents didn't even get to say it to you or if they end up saying it to you anyway or someone in your life that you need to say it to you, like all that matters is like that I accept myself, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I'm the one that goes to sleep at night and has to deal with my like stuff. Like, and that's what recovery is. Like I get to accept myself, right? And like I told you, some days I hide. Like, and I'm like, ooh, I said that on camera today. Like that was rough. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I can, I can laugh about it today. Um, so I just want to say that for all our future and now listeners and and then also um Chantal, you want to plug our training? No, you can. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um our next national recovery housing listening session for the LGBT community is June 24th at 6 p.m. Um Nathan, of course, we'd love to have you. You are a great voice on there. Um, and we are going to be launching our trainings in the next, say, I would say a month, um, to the recovery houses that want to become a place of support for the LGBTQ community. So you'll see a ton of information on that. Um, we put a lot of energy, time, love, um, experience and going through our own kind of stuff as we, we put out this content. So, um, definitely check it out and, uh, we hope we, we see you. Do you have a, a website, a link, something? I, I, I'm, if I can quickly get it up here, on the. Do you have yes. something that? I'll share with you right now. Awesome, awesome. Well, while you get that together, um, Chantel, do you have any closing thoughts? Any last uh, words of wisdom? Shoutouts. Yeah, um, my last thoughts was like, so you brought up the jail program, right? Um, so mm. my last thought was. I just wanted to say that people who use substances don't deserve to go to jail. They need treatment and jail programs Mm -hmm. work, but no one should be locked in jail because they have a disease of addiction. They need treatment instead of jail. Let's do some diversion programs and divert people from locking people up because they have a substance use disorder and get them actual treatment. Awesome. Awesome message. Is that, that, that's, uh, that's the link and everything. Oh, you're awesome, Justin. Thank you. I think so. We've got that scrolling right now through, and I believe that that you've got a link there. So if you want to look at that at the the next training and be a part of that, please, um, I'm certainly going to sign on myself for that. Um, thank you, Chantel. Thank you, Saja. Um, it's it's uh, you know I, I really could go on for another two hours at least with you two of you. I, I love you both, and I'm really grateful to have had you. Um, together in this space with us. So thank you so much. Justin, thank you for being an amazing producer as always. And to everyone listening, participating today, there were a couple comments, um, a couple people I think that went through and just saying hello um, and saying somebody said yes. Uh, Johnny Fab, if you know Johnny Fab. Um, <laughs> I think we all know Johnny. Um, but thank you all and look forward to having a, a, a really robust conversation around these issues and to continuing the fight um, with both of you in, in our corner. So thanks again, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow, Dixie and Joyce have um, a wonderful woman with long-term recovery. She's going to come in and share her experience, strength, and hope with y'all and have a good conversation right here in this space. Um, and then, of course, on 
Wednesday, we have um, somebody from, and this is kind of funny. Um, this got ties along with uh, Montana Recovery Advocacy Project. And you think, what? Um, Layla, I'm not going to pronounce her name correctly, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, Layla's going to be here from Montana, but she's also originally... Well, she's originally from Montana, but she spent a lot of time in Virginia and a couple other places. And she knows the recovery. She's in recovery. She knows the recovery movement. She's doing some amazing work in Montana. She's done some amazing work in Virginia. And she's going to come share her message and share what she's doing and bring to us, um, uh, I guess, a twist from Montana. So look forward to seeing you in the next couple of days. Thank you all. And goodbye. Thank you. Honesty Liller. I am the CEO of the McShen Foundation and a woman in long-term recovery since May 27, 2007. I have not used drugs or alcohol. Woo -woo. Thank you so, so much to the Richmond Times Dispatch and all of our voters for getting the Herd podcast. Those podcasts are amazing. Not only has it helped thousands upon thousands of people in their recovery, as well as family members, but it has helped me in my personal recovery. I get to listen to them now in my car through Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it's just really, really important for us to be innovative in the addiction field and the recovery community. So when COVID hit, we had to be innovative. You know, we really had to think of like, what can we do to reach people that cannot go to 12-step meetings? smart recovery, faith-based, whatever, um, that we're shutting down constantly. So we were innovative here at McShin. Let's start podcast. So with Todd, John, Alex, um, and some other staff, you know, we all just kind of jumped in who can do what. And um, with Todd's lead and John's lead, the podcasts have been amazing and we're still doing them today. So I want to thank you for all of your votes and all of your energy and all of your support of our mission of healing families and saving lives. Thanks.